Deborah Paredes' latest poetry collection is Year of the Dog. This title refers to the lunar calendar. That's a calendar used since ancient times and based on cycles of the moon phases. Paredes completed the book in 2018, A Lunar Year of the Dog, and reflected on another year of the dog, 1970. That was a significant year for Paredes. 1970 was the year of her birth in San Antonio, and also the year of her father's deployment to Vietnam with a troop of Mexican-American immigrant soldiers. It was also a year of upheaval in the United States. In reflecting on the past, Paredes bears witness to the traumas of war and the collateral damage of that trauma and reveals the burden and the beauty of the poet's inheritance in documenting a painful history. This is Book Public, a Texas public radio podcast about books, featuring author interviews and book reviews. I'm Yvette Benavides. The poems in Year of the Dog by Deborah Paredes emerge from Paredes' own experiences as the daughter of a Mexican immigrant Vietnam veteran and her hunger to address the silences of her home. It's a haunting collection exploring the personal and mythical. Paredes collages images from iconic photos of the Vietnam era to personal snapshots that all help reconstruct what had heretofore been the untold stories of a war that changed her family and the nation. Paredes addresses the role of women, both mythical and historical, all too often relegated to the margins of society. For her, poetry can encourage new ways of seeing and talking about particular moments in history. And while the subject for her may have been the Vietnam War, in our discussion, we found undeniable resonances for today. See what you think. Here's Deborah Paredes reading three of the poems from Year of the Dog. Self-Portrait in the Year of the Dog, San Antonio, Texas, December 1970. It's nearing the end of the year, and the woman who will be my mother is pushing stick pins through the eyes of sequins and into styrofoam globes until each coated orb ornaments the tensiled tree. Her body is full of the curled question mark that will soon be my body. The woman who will be my grandmother is biding time at the five and dime, stockpiling supplies to fill my mother's idle hands. All along, she's carried me low. How I've known from early on to position myself for descent. When I enter this world, I'll enter as Hecuba, nearing her end, purpled and yelping grief beast, my mother's spangled handiwork. This next one is from the series of poems that I wrote about and toward um, Kim Fook, the young girl who grew up, actually, uh, in the very famous photo by um, Nick Ute, the AP photographer who took a photo of um, children and a family uh, who had been burned by napalm in in an attack. And so 
I was interested in thinking about her beyond this photograph. And so during her time when she, um, as she grew up, she spent a little time in Cuba. Kim Sook in the special period, Havana, Cuba, spring 1992. The cane fields leave wisped with their green secrets. Stock thickets stay uncut. The mill machines stilled. There's no fuel, so no one's going anywhere soon. Though many know how tires not only spin, but float. The sugar can't be processed by your body, is what the doctors say, and prescribe you special dietary instructions. You're not alone with your special needs. Everyone here knows where there's sugar, there's blood. Where there's blood, there's sugar that must be controlled. You've come to grow used to special You've come through enemy fire, your scarred arms rising now like coppiced cane. In the countryside, smokestacks loom billowless. In the city, people wait in line under a billowless sky. You've given up on medicine. Now you're learning the enemy's language. Nothing special, just the everyday conjugations of your body's verbs. I burn, I live, I leave. I burned, I lived, I left. I will burn, I will live, I will leave. Self-portrait in the time of disaster. All morning, my daughter pleading, outside, outside. By noon, I kneel to button her coat tie the scarf to keep her hood in place. This is her first snow, so she strains against the ritual, spooked silent, then whining, restless under each buffeting layer, uncertain how to settle into this leashing. I manage at last to tunnel her hands into mittens, and she barks and won't stop barking, her hands now suddenly pause. She's reduced to another state, barking all day in these restraints. For days after, she howls into her hands, the only way she knows now to tell me how she wants out. That was Deborah Paredes reading from her book, Year of the Dog. She talked to us about her book from her home in Brooklyn. Your latest poetry collection is Year of the Dog, and it includes also a collage of images from the Vietnam era. Can you tell me about this connection between the poems and the art and what it helps us to understand about the ways that you're documenting this era as a poet, but also as the daughter of the Vietnam War? Thank you, Yvette, for that question. Um, I... You know, I'm so happy you used the word documenting, because to me, when we think about the Vietnam era and that war in particular, we are often um, we often associate it with uh, a kind of change in, in documentary war photography, wherein uh, photographers had kind of more unrestricted access and many, you know, many folks sat 
before the evening news each night and heard about, you know, the dead that they were counting and saw images from the from the war. And many of us who may have been small during that, you know, or young during that era, still very much can I live with the the images, the very striking now iconic, often Pulitzer Prize-winning images from that era, whether it was from photos taken um, in Vietnam uh, or photos taken here as, as you know, various communities responded in a range of ways to the war. So for me to write about this moment, and particularly as a Latina and um, someone invested in the ways Latinos themselves have and continue to, I think, uh, be suspicious of um, kind of conventional ideas of documentation, right? Latinos are often understood vis-a-vis documentation, right? Do you have your documents? Are you somehow uh, considered to be legal or not, depending upon your relationship with documents? And so for me, I really wanted to include some of these iconic documents uh, and to really interrogate them through the relationship between the poetry and the words. So I incorporate some iconic photos, right? The Kent State photo we've just completed the 50th anniversary of the Kent State and Jackson State shootings, Uh, some other iconic photos um, as well from the era. And I collage them um, and intersperse them with snapshots my father took um, during his time when he served in the war uh, as a Mexican immigrant, um, newly, newly, you know, um, not so newly arrived, but certainly had newly acquired his citizenship just in time to be drafted. And so I think about, I wanted people, I wanted readers to rethink the ways we are, we have historically been thought to see or remember that era. And you call this a Latina feminist work for listeners that might not understand the implications of this also. uh, Can you explain what it means in terms of this book? Absolutely. So for me, um, one of the aims of the book was to um, to question the ways we think about um, those who served in the Vietnam War. Um, oftentimes, um, Latinos, while sometimes included as a side note to the larger story, um, but are often overlooked. And in part, that is because of the ways they we were, or you know, documented or undocumented in in um, official counts, because. At that time, we were considered racially white, and so it was hard to even account for how many served. While we know, though, through other, um, you know, much research many folks have done, that, that you know, Latino communities often served in greater proportional numbers. Um, and so, to me, telling that story was one that was very invested in kind of telling a story of greater Latino and Latina history. But also wanting to tell it as someone who, as the daughter of someone who served and fortunately was able to come home, how that war was brought home and lived in our life and our home and how it was lived in the lives of many young you know, people. Um, and so to tell it in a feminist way means to, in a Latina feminist way, means to attend to the Latinos who served. It means to attend to many ways that women of color uh, often um, were affected by the war. It means to really attend to how power works, right? You know, a feminist just kind of helps us look critically at power and how it works. Uh, And for me, I really was interested in looking at a range of women of color who had important roles in the the war, whether it's Angela Davis or Kim Fook, the young woman who was often referred to as the napalm girl in the photo by uh, 
uh, Nick Ute. Uh, and so those are some of the ways for me to be a Latina feminist means to attend to both concerns that are important for Latino history, but to larger concerns um, about the ways women of color have been central to our understandings of that era. And there is a whole section that be, that is sort of this look at Kim Fook, and the book is divided into three sections. There are acts here, are movements around mythology, and I even was looking at some of this work as sort of the mythology of war, then the Vietnam <laughs> era, and then the pre, sort of the present, and it ends up a real journey for the reader to move through the book. I mean, linear, linearly, yes, but also that's not quite right. It's because we go into so many places in each in each movement. So can you explain the, why this structure is so important to you in terms of the overall? Sure. You know, I was I was um, completing the book. So the year year of the dog refers in the book to the year 1970, which was the year of my birth the year my father was preparing to be deployed to Vietnam, the year of tremendous, you know, protests and, and um, uh, all kinds of activity, both here and in Southeast Asia. But it also, um, to me, evokes the story of Hecuba, the Greek myth, um, uh, the Greek mythic figure of Hecuba, who was the queen of Troy. And after um, the Greeks, you know, the Trojan War, she is, um, you know, all of her family has died and she's being taken back by the Greeks as a slave, you know, to be taken back. And she's so um, filled with horror and grief at, at the horrors of war that she's witnessed that she howls and howls and won't let go of her grief. And she howls until she's transformed into a dog. And she leaps from the ship and sort of escapes from being you know, taken back by the Greeks, but kind of lives out her days as this howling dog, you know, grieving at war. And so I really wanted to take that idea of what it means to be a woman who's going to look into the face of disaster as women often have had to do and to bear witness to it and to not sort of let it go. And I finished the book in another year of the dog, 2018, which at that time was um, the year that recorded the highest numbers of school shootings in the nation's history. And so for me, finishing this book about a historical moment, but in a moment in which the legacy of war, the sort of never-ending war, um, was very present to me, I wanted readers to experience that journey in the way that the book is structured. So even as we move from 1970, which is mo most of what that first section is about, toward the, toward the future, I also wanted it to be interwoven with the presence of um, the past kind of throughout. Your book was released in mid-April. We were about a month into the pandemic and social, distance, social distancing closures by then. The publishing world has been affected. People could not get to readings or conferences and bookstores. But I, I want to ask you about the ways in which poetry is surviving. I love seeing all of the inventive and creative ways that we can still get to see writers doing you know these sort of virtual appearances on social media. And it just it makes me think of the ways that poetry just survives. And have you thought about why it is that poetry matters so much right now? Sure. Um, you know, I, I believe, you know, um, as many, I think, as many poets do, right, that poetry holds, you know, may not always hold 
facts, but often holds truths and often holds truths in a, in a language that um, because it's a kind of elevated or heightened or uh, strange language, right, for, for, for many of us, it, it can perhaps access some of the truths that we may not be able to access with our everyday language. And I think particularly in a moment when what the facts are or what news or, you know, is or is not or the understandings of, of a kind of mistrust around <laughs> facts uh, and, and things like that, that our language, our everyday language often has, you know, even the language that's supposed to be purported to be, you know, truthful or whatever. I think when we're in a moment historically that uh, has a lot of suspicion around that, the, the language of poetry and the way that it kind of speaks in this, in this other language can house some of the truths that we're really starved for uh, as a as a community, certainly is within the context of this nation, and and I think it's not surprising as a result, for example, that you know after the 2016 election, poetry readership was you know just you know rose exponentially. I think during this moment, you know, people are also looking to to poetry to find some some solace and and some truth to kind of really be cliched in some way about it. I do think it's about that. Deborah Paredes is a poet, scholar, and critic. She's the author of Selenidad, Selena, Latinos, and the Performance of Memory, and the poetry collection This Side of Skin. Her latest work is Year of the Dog. This has been Book Public, a Texas public radio podcast about books. Is there an author or a book you'd like to hear about on Book Public? Let us know. You can write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Our theme music is by Jacob Rizzotti. We had production help from Ben Henry. Texas Public Radio News Director is Dan Katz. I'm Yvette Benavides. <laughs>